0: Hi, how are you?
1: It's going I'm well. <laughs> i glad
0: it's going well. And I think the sound's oh a little bit God. better.
1: Mm, good. Good. Yeah. It's still good on my end. So,
0: great. That's good. Great. Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I might be crunching some pickles in the background. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. All I good. love
0: dill pickles. They're so good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Yay! And good for um, you, yeah.
0: yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with me here on the OG Rose Anchor Podcast, and um, today we're going to be talking about part three of Atlas Shrugged Ayn Rand's masterful novel, and <laughs> I'm really excited to talk more with you about it, and um, yeah, it's it's just really <laughs> rave a lot about it, rant rave about it, but <laughs> it really is a worthwhile <laughs> book. I would highly recommend it. Um, for other people to read it or there's a really great audio book of it like literally on YouTube so <laughs> there's um nice ways to be able to access the book if you can't read it all and it, while you said you can listen to it or Bethany read it on the Kindle so that's nice because mm. it is a chunk of a book so <laughs> I remember you saying that was helpful as well
1: yeah
0: um yeah, but yeah I'm really the book and sort of the the closing and also just like things that we ultimately um, so yeah I, i'm hoping we can talk to a bit about like gold's gulch a bit more we've touched on it but i think yeah. we can find much more about that um so For sure so, yeah, mind that you want to start with bethany
1: um i i did really want to start with gold's gulch um oh. just because i think that it's really interesting as this yeah. <clears throat> as this uh utopia mm. <clears throat> excuse me um that Ayn Rand has constructed because I think that what's important is um what's important here is that she's like not glorifying um she's not glorifying like the United States over the USSR she's not like doing this any sort of like maneuver of like trying to find a real world parallel to her to flesh out her philosophies she creates this utopia for herself which I think is a really powerful Mm-hmm. um way of just doing philosophy. And I guess to explain Galt's Gulch, it's this um, it's this this valley, mountain valley village um that John Galt has uh has escaped to John Galt being the engineer who created the mysterious motor that mm-hmm. um the Dagny and Hank found mm-hmm. um in abandoned in a in a factory in Michigan and um and John Galt, when he walked away from that, from his invention, and he walked away from his work, and he just disappeared. He escaped to this mountain valley, uh, in in Colorado, and, um, and and figured out a way. I mean, and and he he is he has convinced other people to come with him to this valley to just like create a whole new world, which explains the disappearances mm-hmm. of all of these industry giants that um. That was plaguing Dagny and like really distressing her. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is convinced, John Galt convinces each one of these industry people to leave and just start anew, start totally fresh. And um, and he's figured out a way to engineer this place to keep it hidden because of this is like the most genius part. This is so detailed. Sorry for getting really like in the weeds with this, but it's no just please, so- <laughs> I love it, I love it. <laughs> it's such a good, it's so it's such a good storytelling. But basically, like the way that he, he's He's figured out a way to engineer like the way that the sun rays are casting into this mountain valley where from above and and he he can like i don't know i forget exactly how like the physics are sort of explained but he's figured out a way to like build this screen that creates like a reflective um uh mirage basically using the sun's rays and like a filtered mesh screen over the mountain and so, if you're flying a plane, all you see is mountains. You don't see this <laughs> like lush mountain valley. And there's there's a there's a term. It's not um, there's the the specific like scientific term for this thing that creates a mirage. It's like refractory something with light refraction, um, but I can't remember it. And they like make use of this to like disguise themselves and and be their own separate <laughs> village. And that's what's that's what is called Galt's Gulch. And Dagny comes upon this because she. Um, She's flying a plane back from uh back from the Rio Norte line, her her uh, uh Galt railway line um and uh or the John Galt line. And she's trying to fly back to New York and she comes upon, she sees this other plane in the distance and she sees them going towards the mountains in Colorado, and she decides to follow it because she's just again, she's on this um she's on on the trail of, of these disappearances and she's flying and she sees this mirage and she's just like, she crashes her plane, <laughs> which is like also crazy. She crashes her little tiny plane into this valley and John um takes care of her. But anyway, I just think it's like an amazing, amazing storytelling narrative device. And it's crazy to me because um, again, this is like Ayn Rand's pre- premonition or like she's just so, she's like an oracle. She's like a total seer because this is also what people have been writing about. I think I, I ha- at the same time that I was reading Atlas Shrugged, I was sort of getting curious about the, um, the book, The Network State by Balaji Srinivasan. And he's like proposing this whole thing with using cryptographic um, currency and using Bitcoin, specifically using the engineering solution that Bitcoin has created to reach consensus reality. He's mm-hmm. saying that you, you can create a, a totally new state based on an internet community. And he has this whole motto, <clears throat> cloud first, land second kind of thing, like create your community online and then figure out where to physically be located or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I am I was interested in the network state and getting curious about reading that and getting more into that at the same time that I was reading Atlas Shrugged. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. It was crazy. It was, it, it's awesome. <laughs>
0: that is amazing like that's so fortuitous like that you happen to be or provident that you happen to be reading that and then like reading this book Mm -hmm. and then this like this vision for for utopia I'm really curious now that was sounded really interesting too on the what was it called again the network Mm. the network state the network state wow that's so fascinating um wow yeah and like I just want to reiterate everything you said about this like incredible plot and like literary way of how she wrote this and like just, it it like literally kind of just gives me chills thinking about it because it's like so it's so well done and mm-hmm. um I I I think too like there's something that really is I mean there's just something so sort of like mysterious and almost mystical about like this sort of like uh, the yeah. the, um, the this the illusion that like there's nothing there but then there's something there and I, yeah. I think it's really interesting that Like, there's just so much there. Like, the symbolism of that is insane. Like, we could talk about that for, you know, a long time. And and I hope we we will get to touch on some of the symbolism of this here. But I wanted to say that apparently in Ayn Rand's notes for Atlas Shrugged, she had notes down. Because, see, the the fact that it's a gulch and it's a valley makes me think so much of Zarathustra again. Like, Nietzsche's Zarathustra. Because Zarathustra comes down into the valley from the mountaintop. And wow. she had she had notes on in uh, in her writings of the when she was making notes for the novel that she would really she notated on the side like that about like how she was incorporating Nietzsche Zarathustra and descending into the valley. And like this would be for her if, if it's basically like if Zarathustra's message got through the heads of the people he was talking to, this would mm-hmm. be her vision of how that valley would would flourish oh. and actually look and be like bathed in the light. received from the top of the mountaintop so I'm just like it's just so cool the 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 connection there for me for Nietzsche and seeing how like I feel like Iron Man took the challenge of like what would that really look like like what it what would it look like for overmen to exist and and what would it look like for a valley to be renewed into this flourishing you know gulch and so yeah I'm just I just think it's really really fascinating I want to bring that up because I to me that's super interesting yeah, that's really,
1: really cool. Thank you for illuminating the connections between Nietzsche and Ayn Rand this whole time because it's it's I love that. And I think that it's um it opens up the book to me even more hmm. because just as you said, yeah, it's like what does that philosophy actually look like? And I <laughs> I knew from when I was reading it that it was a really pragmatic approach to philosophy. Yeah. But now also just like seeing all these connections that you've made to to Zarathustra and to and to Nietzsche in general. Mm-hmm. Is um, is just it proves that point even more. It extends mm-hmm. that point that yeah, it's really about like bringing philosophy into a practical. It's like practical magic kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: and what's what's also interesting that um. And again, I I need to like you know either become more acquainted with Nietzsche's Nietzsche's writing itself, or also just like more of his biographical information because. Mm-hmm. I, I get the sense that Nietzsche is also, like, sort of uh, making use of these, like, mythical archetypes, not not necessarily <laughs> mythical, but just these, like, very large archetypes mm-hmm. um, to help illustrate his philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and because what's interesting is, like, and this is something that I thought when I was reading the Gulf Gulch chapter mm-hmm. two, is that um, you find this allegory throughout esoteric and occult um. Writing and and illustration. This this art image of like the mountains being the the mountaintops being like the place of wisdom mm. and like the lone person. The I mean, this is what in the the tarot it's it's represented by the hermit is going to this to the mountaintops and the hermit is the person who has to withdraw from society to like reach some up higher level of mm. um, emotional and mental capacity and um has to make this journey to the mountains and then you see it also throughout the tarot um there are mountains strewn about in different different landscapes and different cards and it always means if someone is either cu- someone the, the character is either coming away from the mountains or going toward them mm-hmm. and it always means like either you're coming back with certain wisdom that you yeah. have gained and you're coming back to the real world or you have to make a journey mm-hmm. and go exploring for yourself and yeah. so it seems like and and i definitely drew that connection when i was reading about galt's gulch like mm-hmm. just like oh wow she had to like literally crash into the mountains and just like mm-hmm. i don't like i don't know <laughs> she was just Dagny was so in like uh, uh, like dedicated to, the, to mm-hmm. figuring this out mm-hmm. um and then yeah and then but the mountains actually open up this miraculous like
0: mm-hmm.
1: opening up into a uh, into a very fertile valley i would i would imagine because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would imagine that it has like a watershed and everything but I anyway know. so it's just like very and then hearing about about Zarathustra coming down from. From the mountain and making this journey, it just seems like it's this it's part of this mm-hmm. larger archetype that has been mm-hmm. that has been illustrating Western esoterica for a long time.
0: Yeah, no, that's so good. I loved hearing that, and I I remember you touching on the mountain uh, imagery in one of the net conversations, I believe. Mm-hmm. um, and and like I I thought I found that to be really fascinating, like the idea that it's like it's in the distance and like that that has a meaning. Like there's a there's a fact that it's like there's this sort of juxtaposition and yet sort of a unity of the fact that the person is, you know, let's say like has, has certain wisdom because of the mountain and the fact that there's distance from it means that like they, they went, they went to it and came back. Like there's a sort of, mm-hmm. you know, this sort of a necessary, necessary ascent and descent, you know, mm-hmm. this like ascension and, and then a descending and, and it's funny because doesn't it even like match in a way, a plane, right? It takes off and it has to land. Totally. And it's like very interesting in that way. And I think too, like, so yeah, I loved, I loved hearing more about that uh, when you talked about the tarot imagery on the mountains and um, thanks for sharing. Something that makes that comes to mind thinking about Dagny is like, it's almost, there's always this kind of close to death sort of thing that happens here too, where she's like, yep. Like, I'm gonna, you know it's like there's you all, it, it's a willingness to almost die to to be able to find like true life or something like that which is which is very like this is very you know even christian we can say right you know it's like mm-hmm. um you know to lose your life is to gain it, and it, it in, in this like higher I- transcended way uh, but still mm-hmm. on earth mm-hmm. sort of manner and um i i think about that like how that sort of is represented in in dagny's willingness to sort of crash and it's funny because we think of something of a crash as something bad and yet, you know, uh Ayn Rand wants to show us that like this is when she finds, you know, this the the fertility and the fullness of life in the gulf in the mm-hmm. gulch itself, in mm-hmm. crashing. And, you know, I think that's why she's not afraid to see like the necessary component of failure in success. That's very Nietzschean as well. And um and and yeah, like I think too with mountain climbing, like we can sort of theorize about that or like, you know, it depends on how mm-hmm. mountain mountaineering experience. But is a life risking thing if you're going to climb some like heavy or like really heavy uh, well yeah they are heavy too but really high (laughs) mountains you know it's it's like Mm -hmm. you you, it's it's literally you can risk your life doing that and yet people you know people who do that have like a whole new vantage point literally a whole new vantage point right they see things Mm -hmm. from a whole different whole new different perspective and they've also like there's something that sort of builds in, like uh, internal um, perseverance and and muscle strength and all of that that goes into actual mm-hmm. mountain climbing makes me think I've been reading a bit more on um, from Saint John of the Cross and he talks a lot about the mountain um, the mountain imagery which I found I don't know I just found it really powerful the way he, like his language for it uh, so I'm always going like I, I think there, I'm always going back to the the idea of the mountain and I think that is really illustrated well in different. It's just literature even though it's philosophy like it's it's very literary yeah but I do think there's these like larger archetypes of of um kind of a hero or heroine that that are shown up like show up so much in Nietzsche's work and um in esoterica like you were saying and this this sort of like um it's like this journey that also so much of it has to do with like your inner your inner journey too right like it's it's inextricable. Right. and I love how mm-hmm. for for, I love how Ayn Rand does this thing where she doesn't, like, she has, I think this is actually, and, and it's funny because, I, who was it? I think it was, like, Tolkien and Lewis or something. They would fight over this, like, should you have one archetype as, as uh, you know, like, or whatever. And Tolkien really believed mm. that you should have multiple. You should multiple. you should actually spread it out so that you don't get this sort of, like, cheap association. And um, I think that Ayn Rand does a really good job of actually making multiple figures that have, like, there's there's a hero totally. and there's a heroine too like she's not just gonna put it all on like yes obviously um uh john Gold is like we could say ultimately i guess he's the sort of centralizing figure for a hero but there's mm-hmm. the heroine of dagny there's the heroes mm-hmm. of the people who are in the gulch itself too and i think she's mm-hmm. really big on stressing that like we're not going to make anyone like some you know we're not going to make anyone like mm-hmm. no we're going to find our own sort of divinity and spark to offer here in this in the fertility of the gulch so yeah, I just wanted to speak to that really quick, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also what was cool for me is that um, this sort of trio between John Galt, um, Francisco Danconia, and then uh, Ragnar Dons, oh man, I forget, the name of the guy who, um, the, the Dutch person who acts sort of like a pirate,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> and
1: yeah. he like sails the seven seas and like steals <laughs> steals people's gold which is so that is so outrageous like if i were to just talk about like just these characters it's like well yeah there's like this um like upstart engineer who invents who invents this crazy motor he also also jungle invented this whole mechanism of like a voice activated like safe for himself yep, and like yep. there's a whole part in new york where the the um the authorities come to, like, take him away. But when the minute that they, that their voice is trying to activate this safe or this, like, escape tunnel, like, it disintegrates the machine. So the machine, anyway, it's crazy. That's a crazy thing. That's, like, totally implausible. Um, But somehow it works. And then Francisco D'Ancona, who has this, like, illustrious, like, copper mine um, Mm -hmm. inheritance. But then this pirate, a literal pirate, who just, like, all he does is, and, and Ragnar's character is, um, is very or he he like goes to school with francisco and john galt and so and they're like this trio of students who are like are so imaginative but anyway it just like it seems so uh ridiculous as like literary characters but they are these like these like mythical like the pirate is the person who is demonized but a pirate and i and I like spiraled out when I was thinking about like archetypes of pirates and pirate ships, things like that, because there's a lot of like, um, there's a great pirate museum in Cape Cod um, that I've been to once. And it's like talking about how pirate ships were these utopias because um, they were like sort of, they were obviously like capturing people and it was like really bad, but there was like complete like equality on pirate ships. It was very egalitarian, like, like everybody had their job. And it's also this like weird implausible utopia. So anyway, Ragnar being a pirate who's like stealing gold and making sure to like uh, to have like a reserve of of currency or a reserve of some value for this for this village, and then Francisco de Conia who is like also demonized because he has to like play into this playboy uh, character and then and like destroys his father's mines or whatever. Like all three of them are also just they carve out such an interesting archetype as as this trio of people that like head up this utopic village and Mm -hmm. um and then sort of everybody else every other industry person sort of falls into place Mm -hmm. everybody has a place there and everybody like brings value the other thing that I just like adore about um about Galt's Gulch is, and this is why I, I jokingly say the whole like cottage court yeah, kind of supremacy yeah. thing. <laughs>
0: I'm so glad it came up again.
1: <laughs> um, Is like Dagny, if like, she's just like, I'll be your maid and you can pay me. <laughs> it's like so ridiculous. <laughs> and it's just like, it's this total like turn, um, this, and, and again, imp- like implausible, and it's this turn of like, why would this girl boss of a woman who has like made her name in industry in this like male dominated field? Like, why would she want to, like, she decides to humble herself and like become this, become a maid and just say like, that's all that I can bring right now because I'm like injured and like recovering, but I can like clean your house and fold your clothes. And it's just like, and that's the thing that is like, that is of the most value at this point. And she's just sort of like, I'll earn my keep kind of thing. Um,
0: yeah, I love that I, so much
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's great
0: yeah and that I mean that speaks a little bit too though like it's, it's actually quite comical like just thinking about these characters and how outlandish they are in a way you know mm-hmm. um, But like also how how much you're kind of vying for them you know like and how much you're kind of like yeah like these <laughs> these, are, these are like these kind of strange you know misunderstood but like they're like these people sort of just pioneering the fullness of life in, in, its, in its outlandishness, and its absurdity. And yet they're just like, we're, we're going to do this. And also Dagny wanting to like, well, actually on a serious note, but then on a funny note, well, the, the funny thing is, is that it's kind of, it, it actually speaks to Ayn Rand's uh, feeling about men, where she was like, if it's a great man, like I will serve him. <laughs> like She's just like, that's <laughs> yeah. fine. Like, that's great. I will, like, that is the greatest thing I could ever do my life basically you know which is really interesting mm-hmm. and uh and, and yeah it, it's funny but it's also like I I will take like I will take responsibility as this being my what I can give this you yeah. know you know like I can I can give something by yeah. by serving someone else or by serving a great man and there's something strangely like traditional about that too though right like it's it's kind of like mm-hmm. it, in a way sort of shows this sort of um. Uh, you know the, the 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 concepts of like even just marriage and the idea of like a, a wife serving her husband and yes a husband serves a wife too but there's kind of this mm-hmm. that that sort of the language is, is a bit more on on the emphasis of like the submission of the wife and and like but you know in a way I feel like a- Ayn Van is so so crazy in this way like she's able to affirm a very traditional position in this radical untraditional way where mm-hmm. she- and the, the like the extreme beauty and almost divinity of being submissive to one's husband you know and like that there's something very mm-hmm. good and uh yeah and like mystical and and just really functional and and good about that and um and I think that's really quite wonderful that sh- that uh, again I'm sorry to always bring up Nietzsche but Nietzsche really I think wanted to see a vision for marriage like that too where it was mm-hmm. actually still very traditional for you know um like a husband and wife to serve one another but a husband to also realize the basically the, the how much woman understands and how much she's kind of like able to to understand beyond the man like it says something like the that the woman you know she's the one who understands the child but like but but could the man ever understand the woman or something like that and there's something mm-hmm. kind of interesting there um at play but basically i feel like this is why ayn Rand, she really flushes this out of like well what how could we see even something that is quote unquote considered a tra- like a tradition that is sometimes falls into the pitfall of never questioning it um but like how can we redeem it and see it as something that like we choose for ourselves and make it sublime you know um actually I don't know if that's the right word he he has like sometimes critical of funny words like that but you know what I mean like basically Mm -hmm. just like how can we transcend it and make it like something that is truly like a, a beautiful thing to see and witness and it seems to be tied to this idea that like Um, a a service of a woman can actually be something she chooses and and yet like it it actually makes her have a place and a purpose and a a sense of like power and even strangely like it's her own domination in a way to be able to serve somebody who is has such a dominating and and forceful presence um, themselves as a male Mm -hmm. um so I just think that's interesting. But also there's something very, I, I like to hearken back to, to Christian themes too. That's very Christian, right? Like the idea of like Jesus humbling himself to become a servant for man. Sure, And, yeah. and like this idea of... of um, of uh, basically this idea of being able to like be servants to one another um, mm-hmm. for this bigger purpose, the kingdom the kingdom of God, right? So the Gold's Gulch, I think she's trying to bring what could be considered maybe a kingdom of God in, in, the, in the real world. Like what would that mm-hmm. look like between people? So, so sorry to go on a bit of a tangent there, but I do think it's interesting to think about her, this radical ability to bring new light and, and vivacity to traditional structures but make them kind of like have the actual heart, the motor of it, right? Like the thing that makes it actually good, mm-hmm. that it is that way, that it is that structure. And I think Ayn Rand does that really, really powerfully.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's, um, and I know that we we spoke about this last week too, but like just how how interesting and, and funny it is that she's such a staunch atheist, but these mm-hmm. Christian themes keep coming up. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's probably like, uh, I, I don't know, I haven't read her biography. And so I'm not sure like her, if her intentions are exactly this but it feels like she's trying to really um she recognizes christianity as this like great epic literary tool um which in some which in some ways it is i mean in some ways all religions are sort of um the the what proliferates out of religions and the sort of like cultural artifacts that proliferate out of religions is largely this like um and, and exp- exposition of like, this is why we believe what we believe. And like, here are all these characters and all these stories to like play out and to use as models for your own life. And so I think that she is, is recognizing the power of Christianity and yeah. reflecting those themes. As you just said, I'm, I'm sort of just agreeing with you here, but as you just yeah. said, like reflecting these themes in, in the, in life on earth, um, yeah. Yeah. and trying it out and, and trying it out with a, with a, her objectivist, um, perspective yeah. the other thing that's interesting I don't think that I don't necessarily think that this was on purpose for sure. Ayn Rand but I think that y- you can make a comparison between the um between that weird marriage between uh Cheryl or is it Brooke uh Jim Taggart the, the person that yeah, Jim Taggart yeah. chooses to marry yeah and there's this like weird um like this The girl Cheryl is just like someone who is from Buffalo, New York, from poor family, one of like 10 children, and goes to New York City to try to make it yeah. and decides, okay, well, the only way that I'm going to make it is like by finding a rich man to marry kind of thing. And then Jim Taggart is almost choosing her as his wife just because he feels like he needs to, I don't know, he feels like he needs to assert dominance because he's losing control in every mm-hmm. other aspect of his life. Yeah, And so he just he just like forces this poor girl into marriage which eventually is her is her actual literal demise yeah, um, yeah, yeah and it just seems like there's this like there's like the other side it's not it's not black and white for Ayn Rand it's not like mm-hmm. or this drawing this comparison between Dagny and John Galt and Jim Taggart and Cheryl yes is um like it can go It the the prospect of like a man and a woman mm-hmm. in marriage and in a relationship to each other, with each other, it's it's sort of like it can go either way. And there's yeah. there's ways for it to really be bad and also ways for it to be very successful. And the other thing too is that the book ends on this note of like Dagny understanding that like her she still feels her purpose is to, as she's leaving New York and she's going to Gulf Gulch to live there, permanently she's like disappearing herself um she is she even reflects that it's like time to rebuild this this or continue to build this utopia Mm -hmm. and sort of rebuild the world and so it like it even ends on this note of like she is she wants to be of of service to john Galt, but also like it Mm -hmm. falls in line with her general i want to serve this I have the same mission oh yeah as him
0: oh yeah yeah no that's huge that's really really important what you're saying Bethany because it's, it's the same with Nietzsche too like there's because he he's all about basically like uh, reevaluating right like making your own values you can never really say that marriage is better or worse than not being married right it's like it's not better to be married. It could be better to be single. It could, you know, like it doesn't put right. marriage as the value. It puts you as the value in whatever you choose and you take responsibility for. And I think there's this big thing of like, can you earn that choice? Because, because you know, with Dagny, you know, one, like she's not actually, te- yes, you know, I don't, if they're not like technically married, like her and John Gold. She's just like, she is always going to be like, she basically stands by the strongest man. Like, you know, and that's why yeah. hanging her kind of just, it, that just sort of fizzles out. You know, it's not like that really ever re-emerges you know um mm-hmm. and and so and that's where it can get into some of the problematics because this like relates to her own life like because I you know I mentioned i read mm-hmm. her biography but the, mm-hmm. the point of the matter is is that like it, it for Nietzsche or for Ayn Rand it's sort of saying that like yeah basically anything can go either way you know it's like it can be good mm-hmm. it can be bad and the determining factor is not what actually the thing is what are Yes. And what are you doing? Yeah. And I think she's tying, I think for me, the thing that I see redemptive about marriage in, even though it's strange and like, yes, I'm not saying these are like exemplar people in all that they do, mm-hmm. but they, they show like, you're sort of really getting out here. It's like, they show a couple who has a vision, right? They, they're, they're, they have mm-hmm. a promise to each other, but they actually, actually even bigger. And that's like, mm-hmm. you know, this vision for, for Gold's Gulch in their case and I think that's like, ultimately, what will always sort of be the source of renewal for the relationship itself is like, to be to have just the two people and their promise to each other, though, there there is that. Mm-hmm. If talking that marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also like the, the promise to something that is also beyond them that they're both committed to working at. Um, yeah. So I think that's huge, because I mean, I don't know, to me, that feels like a very practical, like, if. I know it seems funny, but I feel like that's actually really practical, good advice for like relationships. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, so that's really, really fascinating. And you make a great point. And and the, that marriage really stood out to me with Jim and the and the his his because it was so sad. Like it was so there was yeah. something that was they were both using each other, and it was just very, very it just had this like stench of death about it and unfortunately yeah. it, like you said led to the to the woman's demise and her actual death and it, it's just it was just so so sad like and, and I think she's trying to show that and like look like it because there's not you know um Dami and and John Gold don't actually aren't actually married so there's there's something that maybe would err a bit on the side of like um, critiquing marriage, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in the book. At the same time, though, I think she offers a window to a possibility for marriage in the book. Yeah. And her and Anne Brown herself was married her whole life. Um. Mm-hmm. So, um, to the same person, though there were some, yeah, there were, some things interesting and and troubling things too that, that came up for her in her life. Mm-hmm. She, did, she did. Um, stay with. I think his name was Frank O'Connor, and he was an artist. Mm-hmm. And they were they mm-hmm. were married. Um, until she you know past um so yeah I think I don't know I think it's it is it is interesting and I think it does speak to this idea of never being able to be like you can't put the certainty on like oh this is the best thing to do or this is the best thing to do it's like there's this real tension place I think for Ayn Rand and Nietzsche where there's this sort of you have to make the decision yourself like you can't get that from just the structure it's like it's the substance of the structure that, which is hard to I think Mm-hmm. It is. there's something kind of existential to it I don't want to reduce the, either of them to existentialist, but I think there is an existential strain in them in that way mm-hmm. you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure um, I just want to make like a really quick comment Please. that I think is just really funny and sort of like very based and also kind of impossible like I think that this is probably like the one thing that I like when I read this I was like what that would li- that could literally never happen uh, <laughs> but like there's this because there's sort of like Francisco Francisco is in love with Dagny because they've had they've like been had this they've been friends since childhood and he's always like kind yeah. for her and she had a whole thing with him then she loves Hank or she thinks that she loves Hank and then like there's this moment where um uh, but then she she eventually like sort of she never fully rejects Hank I think out loud but she is like clearly like choosing John Gulf and there's this moment where like Hank he's like I get it now. Like, I get why <laughs> you would be into John over me. And it's just, like, so <laughs> to me, I think that that's, like, this whole, like, it's this fantasy vision of, like, men being, like, completely fair in competition mm-hmm. with each other. <laughs> Where it's just, like, this weird, like, oh, yeah, I get it. He's clearly, like, better than me. And I get why, like, the best of women, Dagny Taggart, would, like, go for him. And, and I just, I thought that that was, like, hilarious and it seemed like something out of like a reddit thread it was just like (laughs) very like teenage boy (laughs) I don't know but
0: so like like Hank's like yeah I mean if I were you I'd go for him too (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) it's so dumb (laughs) but I enjoyed it I know that's
0: funny funny. and that that would probably be uh, probably Ayn Rand's like um if we had to say I think she's very brilliant I think that that would probably be one of the more idealized aspects of her philosophy, actually. Mm-hmm. Like where we mm-hmm. could, where where people could find a, a fairly legitimate critique of her, where you know this idea that somebody would be able, like that everyone would be able to be as able to to discern value and and honor yeah. it. That's very hard in real life to actually play out that way, where people could just, you know what I mean? Like where it, yeah. it can almost seemingly be like such a smooth transition because people are able to just say okay I accept that you know I accept like even though it's, I could think of it as defeat I'm actually going to see it as some somehow a victory in its own right even though it's like not me not getting what I want you know um but like that that's that's tricky and not you know it, it ultimately yeah like the 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 problematics can then be like wh- how do you, your loyalty is to the ultimate value, which you're finding in people. But then, how does that bode well for like longevity of a commitment to a human being who is not like neither person will be the ultimate value the entire time because we're humans and we, you know, people change over time or they suddenly learn things that you never knew about the person or that they're different in this way than you thought when you know them for X amount, you know, more and more years, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Just stuff like that where it's like people, um yeah, so so how does that bode f- well for kind of commitment to and to something that you know is like I guess what I mean to say that's like the imperfection element of our humanity, you know, how yeah, exactly. how do we it doesn't bode well for that if we just take the the relationship if we t- if we take Dagny and how she did how she navigated mm-hmm. relationships with men, basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. uh, that's tricky and I don't I think that can be. I don't think that I meant in that way like I think she maybe was just trying to make a point with it but it the balancing aspects of the of the fullness of her philosophy then if, if it's taken just in like basically isolated in a pigeonhole then that doesn't always that won't work that won't work so well for people in real in the real world right, right. <laughs> you know for actually like honoring relationships and and on yeah. all of that now again in her own life she well I don't know that that's just a whole can of worms I don't even know if I want to like I don't want to go there it's like totally so so much drama and, and and whatnot that happens in her own life but um but that's the thing like it it did unfortunately have some ramifications I think for her her for her romantic life and her her relationships with men and um yeah, I don't know. I think there's also maybe there's this idea that like again for for maybe for an Rand it could work and for her characters it could work, but translating that into the real world is or, or like into everyday life and how h- humans end up viewing each other, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that can be where it's um, people don't typically have a, a response like Hank, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, mean, I don't know, like what. I, I'd be curious, like it would be curious to be able to I, I've always wanted to, like ever since I got you know, I read her book and I read her biography and you know, again I've read a couple of other of her short pieces, I've listened to some some lectures by her, I've always been like, man, I wish I could ask Ayn Rand a couple of questions <laughs> you know? yeah. because yeah. It's, it's it's tricky I think this is the one area where, where it's a bit it's 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 like there's something that is not quite um, uh, robust as as other aspects of her philosophy
1: Hmm. Yeah. At
0: the same time, like, honestly, I, don't have... I think. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Just um, one well, I was just. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No. You. You go ahead. Me. <laughs> I'm so sorry.
1: Um, <laughs> the delay. It's really funny. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I. Well, I was just gonna say. it. I think that this is where people get their larger critique of hmm. her, like pro capitalist. Yeah. Or like where they they sort of. Um critique her her capitalist views and it's it comes it stems from the same thing where it's just like okay yeah I think that a lot of people find critique with like okay yeah it would be great if everybody could like recognize value for value and like everybody could work their way up xyz and everybody has equal footing but that's not how the real world works and people that's largely people's critique of capitalism anyway is like well but like people are greedy and exploitation occurs Mm -hmm. which is definitely true and I think that that's where it becomes too ideal, and and then there, and then ebbs into problematic for people, mm-hmm. um, where people are just like, this is absolutely way too idealistic. Nobody is like, they, people just assume, because people are conditioned to assume the worst about other human beings. They just think like, well, everybody is going to be exploitative and greedy and yeah. just act in their own self interest. It would be it would be great, yeah, if people could like actually um, trade value for value, but that's yeah. not how it works and so then people use that to say that she's just like problematic
0: yeah well i i I think too like that's a really great point and i think you're absolutely right the thing for me though that redeems Rand's work though in light of that critique is -hmm. that i think she i think even she would say yeah of course i'm being ideal that's why we left and we made gold's gulch like of course not everybody's like this yeah yeah (laughs) like i think she would just be like yeah screw that argument like i don't i don't think everybody's like this (laughs) that's really true
1: that is yeah
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe that's too basic, but I I do think there's kind of a, and I don't, I mean, it's not meant as like a, you know, a middle finger to to people. It's just, it's just more the sense that, yeah, the whole idea is that people aren't, aren't necessarily going to be like that. The problem is when we start to try to, you know, we, it's very hard to talk about it without sounding like it is preachy to people. But really what she's talking about is a, is an inner revelation, I think, of like what life could be like Mm -hmm. when we actually, Find value in ourselves and offer that t- to the world. And I think that it, you know, she, I think she would, I, I don't know, I think she would really sort of making some sort of mass movement of her ideas, even or something like that, because you can't mass mm-hmm. this. You can't. I don't think you can. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe we could talk about that, or if you disagree, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But mm-hmm. it's a hard sort of tragedy to live with. But it's almost like, yeah, this is not. Um, this is accessible to the everyday person to the average person to the worker but this is this will probably inevitably not be chosen by the by everybody and mm. and it's not that it's the, the laymen or the masses that will actually uh deny it the most it's actually the top dogs and the and the elite who yeah. will probably will fight this tooth and nail and and like deny it and reject it and yeah. that's who's going to yeah. be the ones to be like well let's just call it all like crap because actually we don't want anyone catching wind to this idea you know of like hey yeah. you, you can actually generate value in yourself you know what I mean so I don't know I don't know it's it's tricky like there are certainly problematics but I think even on relationships though she gets some things wrong I think she gets a lot of things right too so yeah it's not like I would you know again I wouldn't necessarily ascribe to or agree with everything her characters did or do but there are things about those relationships that are like really quite telling about how to how to really kind of have robust relationships in terms of just your friendships and your associations and uh, you know even your more intimate relationships to sort of see again when we think about this greater higher vision of value itself and you know allowing people to be participants in that that then ends up like being quite freeing and and flourishing you know so I don't know it's Mm -hmm. like we can take there's good and bad like let's at least take the good of it right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that you're totally right
1: that it's um the people who are more inclined to reject it and call it all a wash, are the people who are like at the top, yeah. at this top level who have like led this privileged life and say like, well, I'm gonna like, I'm just saying that this is problematic because it's in the interest of um, of the worker or it's in the interest of the working class to, to mm-hmm. like, I'm just gonna try to protect them or whatever and like try to give them what is due to them and then convince them that it's not worth it to pursue their own inspiration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I definitely, I, I, yeah, I think that that's a really good point. I think that that's totally true. Mm-hmm. And then it does seem like it's a, it does seem like it, and especially with such, if she is so influenced by Nietzsche, it does seem like it's mm-hmm. sort of like, yeah, only a few chosen people are going to self-select and be able to do this. Um, be able to go after this kind of utopian vision Mm -hmm. and um, then yeah that's very um, that's very ubermensch very Mm -hmm. Nietzschean I guess and it's and and it's true they're like not it's not going to be for everyone it's not a populist thing and I think that maybe even Mm -hmm. trying to be populist like turns you sort of into this into like the overlords of like the ussr and
0: absolutely yeah yeah um, I th- I and people think who are was... trying to
1: control from a government standpoint sorry
0: but... oh yeah no no i'm sorry i'm like cutting you off because <laughs> i'm like excited about these points i'm so sorry <laughs> i know <laughs> it must be the pickles they're just making me crazy <laughs> <laughs> and i don't i guess don't think it, it's it's like you're not it's not about a populist movement of of you know overmen i i think that that there's a way in which she's saying, like, don't let me even define it for you. Like, what's your goal? How are you? How are you going to do that? I, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like she almost brings it down to the the fact that there's going to be like just even down to the basic family unit. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. how can you just do that yourself? It it does it does the idea of separation though does make me kind of think of church concepts of like the Benedict Option or like even even the Desert Fathers who like uh, they do take themselves out of um, society to like live and. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of idea of like is you know is there is one better than the other blah 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 but I think like the, the interesting thing about Gold's Gulch is there's still sort of a little society there you know happening mm-hmm. and um the idea the interesting thing about a valley is like actually a lot of the rest of you know surrounding the valley like gets a lot of their what they can eat and you know the the, the water goes through the back like there's so much that overflows from the valley down mm-hmm. into like all the places that aren't directly in Gold's Gulch so it's kind of this this idea that like it's okay actually even if it is just a small sort of group of committed people who do this this isn't to really like I think she would even and, and each two would it's weird it's like yes there's this talk of the overman and like the, there's the last man in in um Zarathustra that's like critiqued but I think that again it's hard to talk about it without it sounding like it's being preachy without it sounding like everyone should yeah. get on board with this and be an overman but I think this is a tension and the irony of this uh, and almost a tragedy of the fact that like, yes, this is something that, uh, you know, she feels a personal conviction about and a vision for life and how it could be. But it's not, it, it certainly won't. It just, it just almost on a very practical level is not necessarily something everyone will do. But actually, it's always kind of available to people, even just in their mindset, even in just their their disposition toward their own responsibility. Mm hmm to for that so it, it, that's why mm-hmm. it just it just weirdly strange strikes me so much of like the mystical elements of religion right where it's like you don't mm-hmm. have to accept this but you can it's always like available to you and it's like you know there's just these languages that mm-hmm. you get even in like mainstream christianity that kind of touch on this very much so where it's like mm-hmm. this idea that you don't have to necessarily remove yourself to become enlightened even if you think in eastern tradition but it's like you find the enlightenment in washing the dishes or something like that you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and so it's 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 very it's, it's very interesting. But yeah, I think the thought is like, it's kind of a small spark, you know, a small spark starts a whole fire or the small rudder, sh- you know, sh- steers the whole ship like it talks about. And like, I think the book of James, the Bible, it's like, there's, there's something about it, it's fine that it's small, it, it will actually have ramifications for people who don't acknowledge it mm-hmm. or don't even have, don't even have an awareness of what that would be, you know, it will still make it better for them too. you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's um... thoughts that come to mind.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, and that's, it's totally beautiful that to frame it as like almost just like poignant tragedy, Mm. that there will, that it can't be for a massive community, that it is, Mm. it is for self-selecting people. And therefore that means that there will be exclusion Mm. inherent in that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me think of like two things that I want to bring up. One, it makes me think of this other like discussion that people have been having, like on the internet, around the internet, um, Lately, and they're talking about because like the U.S. just had an election cycle right. and people and in a country that is so completely polarized, it's never nothing is going to be good enough. It's in the interest mm-hmm. of people of also like the people in, in at the top to keep people polarized. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that everybody can agree on that if, mm-hmm. if nothing else. But um, right. You know, people have been saying things like um, or what I've heard some claims made is like. America is so as a nation is like basically as big as the continental EU and like or it's it's or or almost as big as it and so it's like it's like a massive it's massive continent full like with a huge population and how are you ever going to reach consensus how are you ever going to get past polarization right because you can't really at some point you can't really like say that a that that a huge population is a community it's not Mm -hmm. a community anymore because because everybody is supposed to like live under this um under this idea that everything is that the oh yeah it's fine like 51 percent it like chose whatever these policies but then the other 49 percent that's a massive that's a that's still a massive group of people that have to live under this under these policies that they right. don't agree with or that they feel makes their conditions mater- like their material conditions worse yeah and um and so it's just sort of like they're you can't just like there's a, there's a thin line where you can't just like say that, oh, this is in the interest of, this is in the populist interest, this is in the interest of the masses. And it's just like, but people are different and like people yeah. at some point, a community doesn't become a community. And I've heard that talked about in, and this is in the context of the, the network state too, where um, uh, they're saying like, you know, you can create an internet community but then there's always going to be like breakaway points. Like there's always going to be a threshold. Like there are three billion users on Facebook, and Facebook still has the audacity to call itself a community. Three billion people is not a community. That is a mass. That's a massive group of people. That a small community that is made up of small communities. But there is no such thing as the Facebook community, because everybody's like power struggle, culture war, fighting. <laughs> um, and so yeah I think that that's I think that that's, that's really true what you're saying is that there's um, there there's in the self selection there's going to be exclusivity there's going to be exclusion and it, it can't really be applied to a populist framework i guess and which i guess is also just in line with what the with the, the reality that she lived in the ussr where it's like the ussr is trying to um, put a a populist framework onto everybody living also on a massive continent, um, Russia, and and it's and and when you try to enforce that kind of populist living, it becomes a horror. Um, and yeah, um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up that is sort of completely unrelated, and it just can't, it, and I just remembered it now um, that I loved about this, but the composer, which I can't remember his name, and at this point it's going to just like take me too long to like try to look up, but there's this whole like small thread that is carried throughout the book. It's Dagny's favorite composer and it's, and he like writes this whole, uh, concerto series and, but he never, he never writes a fifth movement, but, but then Dagny likes It's like, she imagines that he's written the fifth, the fifth composition to this series Mm -hmm. of concerti and, um, and it's sort of, like, this weird, like, am I imagining that? Did he actually write that? But he just sort of, like, disappeared. And, like, nobody knows where this, like, amazing musician went. And right. it turns out he went to Galt's Gulch. <laughs> and yeah. he's just, yeah. and he does, and and he he has written his fifth composition. And um, what people were humming to Dagny, or, like, what she thinks that she's hearing, it was, like, John Galt's, like, subtle presence. Because John Galt is also, like, technically spying on Dagny. Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, like, undercover as, like, one of the... <laughs> Yep. Uh, workers of the railway but um that to me was amazing and when she talks to this composer in Galt's Gulch he says like you know this to me is like very um uh this to me is where the where Iron reflections on the USSR probably come out the strongest because mm-hmm. I think that um there was a lot of like there's a lot of discussion about like uh like fascist architecture have Like everything having to like look the same, and there's like no longer an appreciation for individuality, and I think that that comes. I think that Ayn Rand's sort of um, this is where her her critique of of um, socialism really shines through is because this this musician is saying like nobody wanted to hear my music like nobody wanted to hear my experimentation or like <laughs> they weren't appreciative of this and I, I wasn't like giving into what was popular this popular wave and so I had to like leave anyway I, I thought that that was I just liked that as like a um, mm-hmm. with my background as in in art history I just I thought that that was nice
0: yeah no that that's so great and yeah, the, I remember that being, like, very significant about this, like, this composition and, like, this, you know, this the, the mystery of it all, like we've talked about, it, it's yeah. so, so palpable. Um, but, yeah, I, I love what you just shared and, like, that makes me think again about Nietzsche because he mm-hmm. was really into music, like, hugely. Oh, yeah. He actually called Zarathustra uh, music and he, he thought of it as a composition and the way it was written in German had, like, a, a huge emphasis on the cadence and the syllable uh, count and all of that, like, he was hugely into music and Really, kind of thought of himself as a composer, actually, and mm. so it's it's really fascinating that there's this like musical element kind of in the background, like of uh, of Atlas Shrugged, and um, I think I think that also like music is such a perfect uh, is such a perfect. Um, analogy for the gulch itself because it's like everybody has their distinct instrument and their own sound and yet they harmonize right and they make something Mm -hmm. that's so beautiful together but they Mm -hmm. have to have their individuality they have to have their uniqueness and like basically it's like the ussr and like the challenge to that is just like some blaring blurting sound that's just you know it's like just it just sounds like it's like scary or like or annoying or something that's right right. or you get dissonance and and like You know, it's like, well, we don't, instead of having, like, instead of having the risk for dissonance, we'll just make it a blurting, blaring, you know, homogenous sound, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. like, well, is that any better than the risk for dissonance? I mean, if you have dissonance, as long as you don't stop when you're playing music. It, you know, you can like in, with improvisation, you can, you know, you can get it back to sounding really beautiful. And it actually doesn't really take away anything. It means that the people are still trying and they're still making music right. themselves. So music itself is a really beautiful analogy, I think, for this idea of like, harmony, right? And um, distinction, yet, you know, yet the same vision for that's why they all come to a place called Gold's you know, they all have this, right. this, they all participate in a vision for something, um, right. you know, bigger than them. They have to be their own aloneness and individuality and individual to ha- to be part of it so i think that right. music is a, is a great analogy for that and i i, I love that part like too, like just the, the composer and just this idea of it needing to go you know basically and that's the good thing too like they just like blow up all their stuff like they just destroy everything and jump mm-hmm. ships and like go to the to gold's gulch with with what they have and that kind of makes me think too when When Jesus says, like, um, don't put your pearl but pearls before swine. Like some people, like it's just some. It's not to it's not to call people swine or anything like that. Mm -hmm, But there mm -hmm. is sort of a a swine spirit, if you will, that kind of (laughs) is not able to recognize the pearls, right? And it's Mm -hmm. like you know, don't let them your pearls just become nothing or pebbles. They are pearls. Like let yourself see them as such, and and on like and basically you know preserve those and honor them and like put them in a place where they could be understood as as the value that they are. So, just mm-hmm. it's yeah, super interesting. Um, and yeah. and I, 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 oh, there's, yeah, this is just, it's just been so good. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to run and I'm always like going beyond the time that I, that I thought I estimated. <laughs> that, but I just love it. I love, love these conversations. I really had a fun time doing this series with you on Atlas Shrugged. And I, I want to just thank yeah. you again so much for your time. I took a lot of away from it. So, thank you.
1: I took a lot away from it too. It, it's, it's um, really great to have someone to like really flesh out these ideas. So, I appreciate the invitation and I appreciate you making the time for me. Thanks, Michelle.
0: Well, I appreciate you making the time for me, Bethany. It's been an honor and a joy. I'm really happy we did it and it was really, really fun and I learned a lot too. Yeah. So thanks again. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Have a good Yay. rest of your day. Yeah, it's you too. Have a great rest of your day, Bethany. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.